The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business, home, social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Research shows that pets make us both happier and healthier. According to statistics presented at the 2014 Global Pet Expo, pet industry spending for 2013 in the U.S. alone totaled almost $56 billion. In an article entitled The World Pet Market Booms, updated in 2014, About.com states that worldwide sales of pet-related products and services reached $81 billion in 2010 and has grown dramatically since then. Taking into account both the love you have for your pets and how much you invest in their well-being, this episode will explore relatively cost-effective holistic treatments that can extend the lifespan of your pets and improve their quality of life. We're so fortunate to benefit from the expertise of holistic veterinarian Jill Elliott, who integrates both conventional and holistic treatment options in her approach. She'll share with you her recommendations on an effective vaccination protocol and also encouraging stories of how she's used holistic interventions to increase the lifespans of cats and dogs who had cancer and improve the mobility of pets who were unable to walk. Her practice is in Manhattan, and she joins us virtually today from New Jersey. Dr. Elliot, welcome to the show. Hi, Hamda. It's a pleasure to be with you and your guests. Well, I'm so grateful that you're here because I'm thinking about the many pet owners who aren't aware of the treatments that can relieve and even resolve health issues their pets are experiencing. It's true, and and I find that um, when you have a pet, it's a constant education if you're a pet owner. As things happen to your pet, you then explore other options. And that's how a lot of people find me. Mm-hmm. And you also brought up vaccination as an important topic to address. What makes this a controversial issue in veterinary medicine? Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because it is, you know, it's basic. Every owner who gets a pet, the first thing they do when they go is see their vet and they're told to vaccinate. And depending on who you see, you're either going to be in for a lifelong every year, once a year routine of, you know, three or four or five vaccines a year, or if you see a holistic vet, you may get a different opinion or a different viewpoint of how to do that. Mm-hmm. And the controversy, even among conventional vets, is to back off and not do as many as was suggested in years past. What's the reason for that? Well, because the vaccines are more effective, and 
you, there are more vaccines that are slated for three-year vaccines rather than one-year vaccines. And so if your vet has a three-year vaccine, it's, it's better to get that if you basically have a healthy pet. You know, that, that would be fine because then the vaccine works better on a healthy animal. Actually, the in, insert, insert into the vaccine a bottle says only vaccinate healthy pets. The reason for that is the immune system is healthy and then can react better to then cause protection in the pet. If the pet is sick, the immune, the immune system is fighting the disease and won't be as available to help the vaccine work in the body the way it's supposed to work. Right. So the, the state of health makes a big difference. Correct. So puppies and kittens that come in with um, maybe they find out they have a lot of worms, they, they have a respiratory problem, they've come from a kennel and they're sneezing and coughing. If, you, if possible, you should delay the vaccine until those issues are resolved, even at the start of puppyhood. Um, so even so, for a newborn? Yeah, especially, especially, because it's fighting the disease. It doesn't have the immune system that can do that plus have the vaccine work. In other words, the vaccine wakes up the immune system to then create antibodies that then protect the pet for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to be sure they're healthy first before you vaccinate them. So As what we, are the overall recommendations that you have, let's say, okay. for a newborn cat or dog? Great. So for dogs, to be protected against things like par, they need a parvo distemper protection, they need a rabies protection, um, they need Bordetella, which is kennel cough. And so rabies, uh, distemper parvo, usually, they, and they can be vaccinated. The first vaccines always have to be a two-part vaccine. So the vaccines can be given every two to four weeks. So what I and the last one should be given around 15 weeks, 16 weeks old. So you can actually give one at 11 weeks and at 15 weeks. Most veterinarians now or breeders start vaccinating them at eight weeks. And if there's no risk of exposure, they can just be, you know, they can wait till they're 11 weeks old and then get one distemper parvo at 11 and one at 15 and they're protected. So you have this time distribution of the vaccine. That's important. And then the Bordetella, which is kennel cough, it's actually been shown that the intranasal vaccine, which is squirted in the nose, is much better than the injectable. This is because What's the difference? The, 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 this is because the, it protects the mucosa of the nose, which is where the um, virus gets in, or you know, that's how it's transmitted. So it's so what, generally a better route of protection. You know, and, and let me just go a little bit further. So the first year they get vaccinated, they get the Bordetella, which is kennel cough, twice within two to four weeks. I recommend the rabies vaccine be given as late as possible, so even at least before they're six months old, but it doesn't have to be given when they're really puppies and kittens. They can get it a little bit later, as long as they're not at risk, which means they're not running out in the woods or doing something that would expose them to a place where they might get rabies. Mm-hmm. Okay. After the first year vaccines, the next year they get boosted. And that would be only one rabies vaccine, which should be for three years. One distemper parvo vaccine, which some veterinarians do have a three-year vaccine, which would be great. And then one kennel cough vaccine, which, again, can be an intranasal. So the, and then after that, 
the next year, I recommend that people get what's called a titer, which is a blood test, and it measures their antibodies for distemper and parvo. They don't have one for, for kennel cough. They should just continue to get that. But if you do the blood test, the titer for distemper and parvo, for the next three to four to five years, they will see that their pets have adequate protection, adequate antibodies. And if that's the case, they don't need to get that vaccine every year. So after year three, they may not have to get vaccinated for how long? For distemper parvo, as long as the titer shows that they have adequate antibodies. And in some pets, it can be four to five to six years because they have protection. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, it may be confusing and people, again, should talk to their vet, get their recommendations, but have this information in mind just so that they don't over-vaccinate if they don't have to. That's what I was going to ask you about. What, what does over-vaccination look like, and what have you seen? Well, you know, it's, it's controver- this is what's controversial, because in school we're told every vaccine every year is healthy and no problem. But in some pets, like I said, if they're not healthy, it may cause them their, their disease to exacerbate, because the immune system then has to wake up and fight this vaccine thing, and rather than continue to deal with the disease it's working with, or if the disease is, is um, resolved, it may, it could exacerbate it. I'm not saying it will, but it could. Right, so you just want to have a customized approach depending on the age and the health state of your pet. Exactly, exactly. And just for a word about cats, with cats, cats are very sensitive to vaccines, and with cats, you can get, with over-vaccines and, and too many vaccines, you can get um, a negative response in that they might get something called a fibrosarcoma, which is a lump or a tumor at the site of the vaccine. And so with cats, I'm very cautious, and I do the kitten vaccines, which is one rabies vaccine before they're six months, and the FERCP, which is considered their respiratory disease vaccines and panleukopenia, and I do that. Again, two vaccines, and it can be 11 and 15 weeks. I booster them in a year. And then if they're indoor cats and no risk of exposure, even though it is a law that they should get rabies vaccine every year, I'm very cautious, and I, you know, and I really say that should be discussed with your vet to see what their life risk is and have a conversation about that. So if you have a cat, let's say, that goes into a private outdoor space where there may be some squirrels and birds, but primarily it's indoors. Would you primarily offer the same recommendation? I, you know, I personally don't like to revaccinate it. If it goes outdoors and there's a chance it could be exposed, I do revaccinate for rabies. Um, any outdoor cat that's wandering definitely needs to be vaccinated for rabies. And there's a one-year safer vaccine the PureVac for cats. So they don't, there is a three-year vaccine, but I like the one-year because it, it's just safer for cats. So the PureVac is the better vaccine, and it's a yearly vaccine for cats. Right. So even if the cat is primarily indoors, it just depends on how much outdoor exposure you're going to have. Like, for example, if someone, if you take the cat to the country Forget and they're it. in areas outdoors that are, you know, not necessarily typical, but for that period they are, then you might consider doing a vaccination. Correct. I would definitely do a vaccination because it's a health risk to the owner if it comes back and it's been bitten by something and we don't know what bit it. 
or if it gets caught in a fence and it looks like a bite, you, know, you just don't know. So you really need to protect the owners and the cat from getting rabies. And there is rabies scattered, certainly in Westchester and, you know, different Staten Island, and there are different places where there's still, you know, reports of rabies. So you have to be careful. It does exist. Are there any other issues that you'd want to bring up around vaccination for either cats or dogs? Um, the Lyme vaccine. I went to a very interesting lecture the other night with an expert on the Lyme vaccine. And although I had been telling people that if their dogs are city dogs and they're not exposed not to be so worried about it, he really made a case for uh, Lyme is rampant in this country, both with people and pets. And so now I would really think about the animals being vaccinated yearly for Lyme disease, especially the ones that go out to the country or that go to the Hamptons or any place where there are ticks, because if they get Lyme once, they're probably going to get reinfected over and over and over, and that's really debilitating to the pet. So I suggest now, I would start to suggest that the pets get an annual Lyme Lyme disease vaccine, except perhaps the little dogs that live in Manhattan or live in an apartment and don't go out much um, because they probably don't get exposed. It's always a question of risk and exposure, but if you have a typical dog, even that goes to Central Park because people come back from the country and the ticks with the ticks and then they drop off in Central Park, I would still be doing an annual Lyme vaccine at this point. So it sounds like most dogs who are going to experience city life, right, the sidewalks uh, or the major parks uh, would be good candidates for getting the annual shot. Absolutely, and especially, you know, the country dogs that travel and all of that. Absolutely. Anything else that you would add for either cats or dogs around vaccination? Um, Again, I think the most important thing is you don't vaccinate them at a stressful time. So stress for an animal can be even travel. So if you're traveling with them, don't come back and vaccinate them right after they've traveled. If, you know, even, you know, a two-hour ride can be very stressful for an animal. So, again, vaccinate when they're healthy and talk with your vet, have a conversation. Don't just have them take the animal to the back, vaccinate, and then bring it back to you. Really discuss the vaccine routine and why the vet is suggesting each vaccine. And if you agree with their, you know, rationale, then sure. And the other thing I do is I sometimes split the vaccines. If they're going to get more than two, I might have them come back on a second day for the third one or the fourth one, not do them all together in one day. So you identified a number of factors to take into account with regard to vaccination, the type of environment your pet's going to be exposed to, how much they're indoors versus outdoors, also their age, and their state of health, which includes stress and distribution of vaccines over time. Correct. Did we miss anything? I think that's pretty good. So since we have a few minutes left at this segment, it'd be great if you can talk about, when we, we look at conventional medicine and then the holistic approach, how those two approaches are different. And I know that you also integrate conventional medicine in your treatment approaches. Very true. Um, one of the things that we differ in is I think the holistic people or the alternative, whatever you want to call us, look at it that um, the animal has the ability to heal itself in many instances. So we try to do treatments that encourage the body to wake up and heal itself. And I'll talk about some of those later. 
Whereas when I have my conventional hat on, I'm usually using antibiotics and other things that are asking, that are trying to suppress a reaction. Let's say if an animal has a skin disease or something like that, we're using, we might use steroids, and that suppresses the problem and can make it better. And pets, you know, animals and people are happy about that, but it probably will just come back and it's not solving the problem. And if you suppress something long enough, my belief is it goes internally rather than staying on the skin. It now becomes an organ problem. So I try to do everything possible to um, give supplements, to do some homeopathy, to do you know maybe some laser. And again, we'll talk about this. To use good food, make sure they're on a great diet. You know, I'll do all of that first. And if nothing else works, you know, again, a good shampoo, maybe a good conditioner. You never know, but. But if nothing else works, then I'll resort to some of the other things to give the animal some peace and rest and the body a rest. But again, I'll go back to the holistic things when I can. There's nothing wrong with conventional medicine. It's Many times it's life-saving. I believe in it. It's, it's good medicine. But we try to combine the two and have them work together and not just use one approach, which is the conventional approach. And I think the conventional approach sees... The animal comes in with a skin disease, it comes in with a liver disease, it comes in with it, whatever, and they just treat the disease, you know, and we're trying to treat the whole animal, and that could include mentally as well as physically with what we're doing. So we're thinking of the whole animal, environment, stress, nutrition. Um, often um, an animal will get sick after another pet's introduced the house, an animal will get sick after uh, somebody goes off to college, an animal will get sick. The owners um, go on vacation and come back. There, there are stresses that then the, the illness will come up. And we try to look at all of that as part of why the animal's sick. Right. So it sounds like a more comprehensive approach where you're looking at the emotional state of being, the psychological state, the physical state, and you're doing everything that you can to really support the animal's natural healing capability and then incorporating more conventional interventions if you're not seeing the results. Correct, and especially diet is important too because some people feed excellent diets and some people feed not-so-good diets, and a lot of times people think they're feeding well. They have a lot of people cooking for their pets, or they'll have a chihuahua eating chicken, and that's all they ever eat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then they wonder why their skin doesn't look well and why they are you know, not as energetic as they should or something's happening. And you really have to, if you're only feeding chicken, you really have to add supplements and vitamins and, you know, some, um, you know, oils and, and really a rounded nutritional scheme to their diet, not just feed chicken. And usually right. their teeth are terrible at that point. I'm going to jump in quickly because we need to go to a brief commercial. This is wonderful information. When we come back, Dr. Elliot will talk about an approach she uses to treat acute and chronic musculoskeletal issues in cats and dogs. She's had great success with this treatment, including restoring mobility in pets who are unable to walk. Stay with us to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, 
Now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with holistic veterinarian Jill Elliott. Dr. Elliott suggested a vaccination protocol that takes into account your pet's age and state of health and also the degree of outdoor exposure your pet has. In this segment, we'll focus on addressing acute and chronic musculoskeletal issues in cats and dogs. Dr. Elliott, I know you've been very successful in treating these types of issues. Um, Actually, I have. I've been doing this for six years now, and I'm very impressed with the technology of using a a tool called an activator, which looks like a a gun a little bit, a little like I don't know how to explain it exactly, but you snap it, and you go down the animal's back and behind the neck and all of that, and what it does is it actually has the muscle that's holding the bone fire and go back into its correct position. So you're not actually manipulating the animal yourself, manipulating the the spine, but the muscles are going back into their correct position and they take the out of alignment part of the bone and bring it back into alignment. So it's used to uh, correct and rebalance animals and their spine usually, and it's very effective. And then I use it on either side of the spine, and this is so that it can... um, affect the ganglions that are on either side of the spine that, in, that um, kind of go to all the internal organs and have them work better. Mm-hmm. So it's a very effective tool. I actually use it on all my healthy animals as well as animals with any problems because this activator tool can actually find and fix a problem in the dog or cat six to eight months before it becomes a problem or apparent to the owner and before it will show up on an X-ray. So it's a great preventative and at least done once a year, twice a year would be the best, is a really keeps a pet healthier longer and longer. What's the experience of the pet when you're using this chiropractic tool? Um, usually, they, at first, it makes a snappy noise, so they, some of them don't like it. But after I start, it actually re- releases endorphins. So the pets just relax. I often get the comment from people with cats, my cat has never been so relaxed in the vet office. And they, they, some of them smile. They, you can actually see a smile. They shake off when they, they shirk. Like when they're wet and you see that shake, 
when they shake off the water, that's the kind of shake they do afterwards, which means they're just feeling well. I can just tell. They seem to really like it. So, so that sounds like a wellness visit, right? Either if, if your cat is not experiencing issues and you just really want to have that, it's important to have that maintenance just like we would going to the chiropractor to get adjusted, that it really promotes that feeling of well-being. And as you mentioned, it's preventive. Exactly. It's, it's wonderful. And, um, and then for animals that have any problems, then I have a, a, you know, a set series of treatments that I do. And the first one that I do is always considered diagnostic because if there's a problem on the spine, I'll actually see an, a little involuntary jerk along that segment of the spine. Or I'll, I'll see the animal just have a certain movement that I just know. Or, or if the owner's looking at the face, you'll see the eyes squint or something. So you know there was a pain or, or sensitivity in that area. And this tool will correct it. So what can you, we were talking in general about musculoskeletal issues. What are some specific situations that you've seen and, you've, and um, also the time involved mm-hmm. in the treatments that you offer? Okay, so I just, um, the, the conditions I see are anything where the animal is in pain in the, with their back or their neck, uh, limping, any of the joints that are bothering them, the knee joints, the hip joints. A lot of animals come in with a real leg problem or a front leg problem, a lot of things like that, or just pain that's unspecified. People will come in and say, I don't know what's wrong with my cat, but he's not jumping anymore, she's not licking anymore, she's not sleeping with me anymore. This is an unspecified, I know something's bothering them, but I don't know exactly what's wrong. And these treatments, and I'll talk about laser as well, cold laser, can correct those problems without having a specific diagnosis. It's better if I have a diagnosis if they come to me with, you know, I took my, my pet to the vet and they did x-rays or they did an, um, an MRI and this is what they found. That's always helpful, but I don't need that to treat them. And how long does each treatment take? Uh, the chiropractic treatment takes less than five minutes. Well, I call it chiropractic, but the activator takes less than five minutes. The laser, which is the other part of the treatment I use for musculoskeletal animals, and they have issues, um, takes about 15 minutes. And the cold laser is a machine that's about the size of a credit card machine, and it shines lights on the dog or the cat. I can put in specific numbers that actually are the wavelengths to tell the body what to do, and the wavelengths activate the mitochondria of the dog cell. Sounds a little complicated for the cat. And wakes up the, that part of the cell that needs to be woken up to say, take down inflammation, take down pain, whatever it is, support. If I'm doing it for an organ, it would be support the kidneys, support the liver. And the, the treatments are usually given uh, in succession. I do usually four treatments, like as a set of four treatments. So I would do the first time they come in, I would do two, one an hour apart, and then another one an hour, an hour later. One the first one, then a second one an hour apart. The second time they come, I do the same thing, one and then another an hour apart. After that, when they come back, I would just do one each time. So the typical treatment of a chiropractic and a laser would be about a half hour. And you mentioned that with the chiropractic, there's also support of the organs and a general feeling of well-being and, of course, putting things back in alignment that can help with mobility. So are there overlapping benefits with the chiropractic and then the cold laser? Absolutely. I, I see them working synergistically. So I usually recommend them both unless there's a reason not to. And the reason not to can be the animal just doesn't like, 
some animals very rarely don't like the chiropractic because of the snappy noise. They just, they just get scared of the noise, so we don't do it. Some animals will tolerate it on their back, but not on the back of their neck, so I might modify it, but in general, it's better to do them together. And uh, there's no negative side effect with the laser. I just don't use the laser if an animal has any history of cancer or currently has any cancer. I just am concerned because it does talk to the cells that I don't want to do anything to modify the cancer cells if they're in the body. So I don't use it for cancer animals. So I'll only do the chiropractic if that's an issue. So speaking of the chiropractic, what are some scenarios that you've seen that may reflect what some of our listeners have experienced with their pets? If you can just offer some examples of the presenting issues and what your treatment was and what the results were. Terrific. And this is what excites me and what keeps me doing it. I had um, an 18-year-old cat, Frankie. He belonged to someone who was a veterinary technician at a very prominent practice, and he'd been paralyzed for at least six weeks. He was lying on his side when they brought him in. He couldn't move. His legs were extended, stiff, actually. And the veterinarians that she had been working with had all tried everything and nothing worked with this cat. And they actually didn't know why it was paralyzed. They had no idea. They just kept telling her to put it to sleep. You know, he's 18. What the heck? He's had a good life. And she was adamant that she wanted to do a treatment. They came to me. And I did the laser and the chiropractic. And after four laser treatments, was about two weeks, the cat started moving its back legs. And after another treatment, it started flipping itself over back and forth. And after another treatment, it started moving its front legs, and it could sit up. And it slowly, 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 we did the series of 12 on this cat. And by the end of, somewhere in the middle, I'd say by the sixth week, the cat Actually, we stood it up, and it actually walked. And it kept, and every week after that, it just got better and better and better. And it lived another year after that, healthy, you know, walking around, doing everything a cat would do. And she, the owner contacted me a few months ago and told me that the cat had passed at 19, but of natural causes. So that was really exciting. That sounds pretty miraculous. It was. I mean, we were all in awe of uh, the cat's recovery. And the people, of course, were so grateful. And the people at her practice were going, you know, like, what did you do to this cat? They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. So what's the difference you find? Do you find that some pets really respond dramatically well to these treatments and then some pets might not respond as well? Yeah, I find that about 85% of the pets respond really well. I have a few more cases I could tell you about. The ones that don't respond are, are the 80-pound dogs that I call them downer dogs. They can't get up. They're very heavy. You know, they're just, they're at the end of their life, they're just not going to, there's just too many things going on with them. And the fact that they're so heavy, I think, prevents them also from getting up and responding well. They may be happier. They may in some ways seem better, but they're just not getting up and walking again, which is very sad. Right. So sometimes the pet might reach a stage where even these interventions won't really make a, a notable or significant difference. Well, that's true, yes. I can't say it's going to help everybody. Can I tell well, you about two, at least two others or one other if we have time? Absolutely. It, it, okay. it just brings up the point, though, of the prevention that you talked about. I would guess that if you have ongoing treatments, if you have the maintenance in place, 
then also sometimes you don't wind up seeing pets in more extreme situations where you can't do a lot to help them. Yes, and the, the dogs that I recommend it to the most to do it are the long-backed dogs, your dachshunds, your corgis, dogs that are known to have musculoskeletal problems down, there, down the road like the German Shepherds, the Boxers, the bigger dogs that you know get uh, are prone to hip disease, the Goldens, the Retrievers, all of those dogs are, are, should just have prevention every year for that kind of problem. Speaking of dogs, you have an example that you can share about a dog that you treated? Sure, sure. I have Coco was a two-year-old cockapoo that had extreme pain one night, and the owners took it to one of the big leading emergency centers. They did an MRI. They saw that Coco had a disc problem. They suggested surgery immediately to relieve the problem. Otherwise, they said Coco wouldn't walk again, and of course, he was in extreme pain, so they needed to do something. And uh, the owners agreed, they did surgery, and after surgery, unfortunately, he was paralyzed. The vets at this other practice were devastated because they just didn't expect that. The owners were devastated, and somebody suggested they come to see me. Um, I saw the pet. I told, there was a little bulge in the back where the disc was probably herniated. So on this dog, I didn't do any chiropractic. I just did laser. And again, we did two the first day. They came in the same week for another two. And then I used to treat the dog in the owner's car because he didn't want to move him. So I'd go in, park in front of the practice. I'd go downstairs. The dog would be in the back, and I would just do laser in the back of the car, which was kind of funny, but didn't matter. You can do it anywhere. And one of the times in the next few weeks that we were doing laser, for some reason the owner wanted to straighten out the blanket in the back of the car, so he took the dog out and he put it on the sidewalk stood it up on the sidewalk, and the dog walked. And we looked at it like, what happened, you know? And after that, again, we finished the 12 treatments, and the dog kept improving. And to this day, that was a couple of years ago, the dog just is fine. And it's the happiest dog in the world. You know, and the people are thrilled, of course. How does the laser work in a way to produce that kind of outcome? Again, it, it basically just tells the body, the cells, to take down inflammation, to take down pain, to bring the healing cells to that area, and with the belief that animals can heal themselves, that's what happens. I mean, the body has an amazing um, ability to heal itself if you give it the right tools, and that's what I believe happens. So we have the preventative overall wellness benefits of the laser. You also have it as a recourse, really as an alternative to more invasive procedures to see if that will really make a decisive difference. And then also, this example shows the post-surgical benefits that the laser and chiropractic can have if there are issues after surgery that it can help with the healing process. Very true. It's amazing. It's, uh, you know, and, and that dog should have had surgery. I don't think if it came to me in that pain that I would have, been, I mean, I'm not sure, but I don't think that the laser alone would have done it. I'm glad it had the surgery, but it wasn't left in very good shape. And the, and the surgeon was thrilled when they brought the dog back and, they, and he saw that it walked. So, yes, it can have tremendous positive effects. There are really no negative effects at all. So that's an important point. It, yeah. can, it, can, it can only help and it can't hurt. Correct. And it seems also that in some cases, of course, surgeries are very expensive procedures, and 
health insurance for pets is, I guess, a challenging issue, right? That you don't always necessarily find health insurance that's going to make a substantial difference in your expenses, although you might. I think um, I do encourage my people that come to see me with uh, puppies to get health insurance. And there's certain health insurance companies that pay better than others and are more um, responsive than others, so I try to steer them to those. Um, and I think that's very important when choosing a health insurance company that you ask your friends and ask other people which ones they think are better than others because when you do have a large surgery like that, and that can be $7,000, $10,000, if you can get two-thirds of that you know, returned, it makes a difference between whether you're going to go ahead or not go ahead for some people. Some people just don't have that money to lay out or even put on a payment plan. So it's very important. And, and people, when they get puppies and kittens, they, they never think anything's going to happen. And I really encourage them to get health insurance. If they can't afford the health insurance, then I tell them to have a little puppy or kitten savings account and put either $50 or $100 a month away in it so that for the future they always have a little pocket of money that can handle any emergencies if they need it. Yeah, that's certainly a challenging issue when it comes to your pet that you want to do everything you can, like in the examples that you gave of individuals who wanted to do everything to see what they can do to improve the condition of their pet. And sometimes those, when the finances come into play, it seems also that the alternatives you're talking about offer more cost-effective alternatives. Correct. It's like anything. It's, we have house insurance, we have car insurance. You hope you're never going to use it, but if you need it, you're really thrilled and fortunate if you have it because it makes a big difference. So we have just about a minute left before we go to commercial. And speaking of the issue of costs, it would be wonderful if you could share overall what costs are involved in both the chiropractic and the laser treatments. Sure. If a pet calls me for for, um, this discussion and they think they might need these treatments, I charge them $100 for their exam to come in so we can discuss what's needed and what the situation is. The first chiropractic treatment is $75, and the follow-ups are 70 Usually I suggest five treatments over a period of eight weeks, so it's $70 each. The laser treatments are $70 each, and when they come back for their future visits, they don't pay an office fee. They're just paying for the treatments. So it's not... I mean, certainly compared to surgery of seven to ten thousand dollars, it's it's extremely costly. I mean, cost yes. you know less cost, um, and they can spread them out. If they can't come every week, they can come every two weeks. Some, you know, if it's a, if it's a severe problem, I tell them to come every week. But some people don't have that kind of problem, and they can come every two weeks. They can spread out the expense if they have to. And I do carry something called care credit, which allows people to have a. Um, they can pay for this with their care credit card, and I believe they get six months of interest-free loan, so it takes them six months to pay it off. So they can also use that option if they need that. So it helps to know that you can work out basically scenarios where you still have the opportunity to have your pet treated. Exactly, because that's what we're all about is really helping the pet and, and helping the owner to do the best job they can. We're going to take two for a quick commercial. When we return, we'll share the very encouraging results that Dr. Elliot has achieved in treating cats and dogs who have cancer. We'll be right back. We're making- 
making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by holistic veterinarian Jill Elliott. Dr. Elliott talked about her use of chiropractic and low-level laser therapy to resolve or improve mobility issues in pets. We're going to extend the good news by talking about successes in holistic cancer treatment. So, Dr. Elliott, when I think cancer, radiation, and chemo are the first treatments that come to mind, and I'm curious about the holistic approach that you use. Exactly. That's usually what most oncologists will talk to people about if their pet has some kind of cancer. And that's the total conventional approach. And I don't dissuade it. There are times when I think those approaches can be helpful. And so when I meet with people and they've come to me, usually at the end of the road, after they've gone through their conventional vet, their oncologist, they've been given all this news and information, and they'll come to me because they think, is there something else I can do? And I have been doing homeopathy with pets, using uh, homeopathy with pets with cancer for the last 16 years. And I've seen incredible results in terms of extending the pet's life, having the pets have a better quality of life while they're having this illness, and in general just doing better. And most people that come say the same thing. Everybody says the same thing. I don't want my pet to suffer and I just want him to have the best quality of life possible until the end. I know I'm going to lose him, but can we extend his life a little bit? So the first thing I say to them is that cancer is not a death sentence. Most people hear that. For people, certainly, they think that. And for pets, they think that. So they're very distraught, you can imagine. And they're coming as a last resort to me. And as I said, I find that I can use homeopathic treatments to extend their life usually long past the prognosis that their conventional vet or their oncologist has given them. And for those who are not that familiar with homeopathy, would you describe it? 
Sure. Homeopathy is a 200-year-old science that's been used throughout the world, and it's used extensively. It's actually the second-used medicine in most countries except for the United States. So places like, you know, Asia, India, England, Switzerland, Sweden, Europe, um, uh, even in Mexico and places like that where medical costs, you know, are maybe expensive. People have socialized medicine, but they still use, there are still many, many homeopaths. It's only the United States that really has not used homeopathy. And what is it? It's pellets um, are coated with a homeopathic remedy, and the remedies are made from plant, mineral, and animal products. They're diluted down to their lowest, 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 lowest level and poured on these little pellets. And then you take the pellets, and what it actually does Again, it stimulates the animal's body to cause a more curative reaction about whatever issue you're treating. So I don't only use it for cancer. I use it for many things, clearing up a urinary tract infection, uh, dealing with irritable bowel disease, you know, all these different things. It also can be used for mental issues if animals are, have some mental issues, if they're very anxious, if they're um, uh, very shy and scared and things like that. It can actually correct them. Hard to believe, but it's true. So the basically, you would find out the the various symptoms Correct. that are yeah. being noticed about the pet, and based on that, then you would decide which particular remedy you would offer. Exactly, and there, when I administer them to animals, they're given in a liquid mixture, so they just mix it up in water and squirt a little water in the animal's mouth, so there are no pills to be shoving down their throat or anything like that. And how do the animals tend to respond to that? They usually respond very well. They usually do. They usually respond extremely well. Um, I have the patients calling me back in the next week or two, giving me some report. And often I hear from people, you know, I've had this uh, problem, let's say urinary tracking problem that keeps coming back month after month after month. And finally, after the homeopathic treatment, it seems to be resolved. And they're shocked and surprised and happy and you know, and then I don't hear from them for another year, and they have another problem, and they come back. Rather than going the conventional route now, then they come back to me first. Um, and I was thinking, actually, about the administration of it. I know that that can be a little bit of a tricky process. Most animals, if you mix something in water and just squirt it in their mouth, or they can just drink it right from the water bowl or something, it's a pretty easy way to administrate it. Um, the other thing you can do, and this is for some animals that are perhaps aggressive or don't want anything in their mouth, you can pick up their tail and you can squirt it on their anus. And that, that's funny because the anus is a mucous membrane just like the mouth. So the remedies get absorbed through the mucous membrane. So, and it's just as effective? Extremely, yes. That's so good to know I about these alternatives. Examples. Yeah, I have some examples of, uh, of cancer patients if you're interested. Absolutely. Okay, so... I, um, I had a, 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 let's see, it was a golden retriever. Uh, the owner's name, he was eight years old, it was Rufus, and he had hemangiosarcoma. And hemangiosarcoma is a cancer of the spleen. And usually the spleen um, gets enlarged, and often the conventional vet will be, say, to take it out, which I wholly recommend because it's dangerous to leave it in. The spleen can rupture, and if it ruptures, there's a bleed, and the dog will die. So I often recommend that they go through the surgery if they can. These owners did not want to do the surgery. They were adamant they didn't want to do the surgery. 
They came to see me, and I started Rufus on homeopathic regime, which he did, and some supplements, which I use. And I told them that the, the, um, you know, the animal might go up and down because every once in a while there might be a small bleed. The animal might you know, um, bounce on its tummy or it might do something and might cause a small bleed. So the animal would have a down period for a few days and then should resolve again. That's exactly what happened. They would call me. Every month I had them calling me or coming in to see me. And they said Rufus was doing great, except some days he was down a little bit, then he'd be fine. And I'd see them at least every two months, no matter what, just to see how he was doing, weigh him, take his temperature, feel his tummy, you know, just just routine care. Um, Rufus went out. Now, normally the prognosis for this kind of thing without surgery is probably about three months. And with, you know, with surgery, could be a year, could be... Six months. It just depends on if there's if the cancer has spread to anywhere else. Rufus lived four years after, you know, with the treatment. And and, and the treatment was these. was specifically homeopathy. Did you use any other treatment on him? Uh, we used some supplements, and I think we used one other thing um, at the end because he was going downhill. And I said, let's try something called neoplasine, but it's not something I use a lot. But it is a an oral. Um, supplement that can help to, it's supposed to make the tumor smaller, basically, it can or cannot. I, I don't use it as much anymore, so I don't want to talk about it a lot, but with him it was a last resort, so we do that. But that was after almost three and a half years of him doing great just on homeopathy, which is unheard of. It's really unheard of. Yeah, it sounds remarkable. It and was. Isn't, so it sounds also that it's kind of a natural response that... You treat a pet, and then there there are ups and downs, and then do you you basically tweak the treatment based on their responses? Exactly, and that's why I have them call me frequently, so I can, you know, if they tell me, usually I give them two different remedies for cancer. Well, the first one is an organ-based or cancer-based remedy. The second one is a cancer remedy for anywhere in the body. So if it's metastasized or little babies are shooting off this tumor, it will go after those metastasize, so those little cancer cells that are being escaped. And they alternate them. One week, one remedy. The second week, the second remedy. And that will go back and forth. And so um, that's all they do. And then I'll talk to them. And if they tell me, you know, he's very um, excited on the first remedy, he's eating well. On the second remedy, he's a little less so, and he's, you know, more tired and stuff, I'll change the second remedy just because I think it's wearing out and he needs a different remedy. So there's a lot of unfolding that happens here, and the underlying point, it seems, is you want to optimize quality of life, right, and minimize any kind of discomfort or suffering that your pet experiences. Exactly. exactly. And I'm very honest with my patients. You know, if they're telling me the animal's really doing badly and all these things are going wrong, we'll have a discussion about is it time, but if... You know, but not before I will change the remedies and give them another chance to perk up and, and get back to uh, the healthier lifestyle. So we have time for one more scenario if you want to share, just so that we have a little bit more insight into the various situations that you're treating. Okay, great. I have another um, dog, a little dog, Lily. She was 11 years old, and she was diagnosed with leukemia. 
and it seemed that the conventional vet kept doing blood work on her. And with leukemia, the white blood cells keep going up and down and up and down and up and down. And her blood cells kept doing that, and they kept telling... I mean, I'm going to change my phone because I think this one is running out of battery, so I'm just going to try a different phone. Let me see if that will... Are we on? We're on. Okay, good. So... Um, we have about three minutes. Okay. So... What we did with her was we kept checking her blood cells, but I put her on homeopathic regime also to deal with this issue. And although her blood work kept changing up and down, up and down, up and down over the time, and I did work with her also about four years before I left the practice that she was in, um, the dog was always happy, always eating, always energetic, just never changed. She just never showed any signs of illness. And when I left the practice, after four years of working with her, the dog was doing fine, and she just stayed on the regime. Uh, I don't know what happened to her after that, but my, my um, advice to the owner was basically look at the dog, don't look at the blood work. We stopped doing it that frequently. We started doing it less and less because it didn't seem to make a difference. The dog was just doing great, and as far as I know, she might still be doing great. She was, you know, who knows? But it was a real lesson in not let the blood work dictate what you do, let the dog itself, you know, doing well, dictate that everything was well with the dog regardless of what the blood work said. That's an interesting point because I can see how, you know, that would be a fearful situation to be in when you're, you're noticing in the test results something that seems very, very concerning and then at the same time objectively if your pet doesn't really seem to be demonstrating symptoms that you have to trust that too. Exactly. And, and, you know, the owners know their pets better than anybody. And so if they tell me she's happy, she's playing, she's eating, she's pooping and peeing and doing everything a normal dog should do, I'm, I'm not as concerned, and neither are they, and they're happy. So, you know, as a, as a closing statement, I want to say cancer is not a death sentence. Please explore other options if you get that diagnosis with your pet. Um, certainly try holistic things as well. Even if you choose, even if animals are doing chemo, I still do some homeopathy with them. I just don't have them administrated on the day of chemo. Uh, if they're doing radiation, I find that the homeopathy won't work on, the, on when they're getting radiation. The radiation is just too strong. will knock off the homeopathy. So I wait till they finish, and then we do, then we do the homeopathy. Thank you so much. This has just been invaluable information about the restorative potential of both homeopathy and chiropractic and low-level laser treatments. You're so welcome. I hope that it was valuable for your guests. I'm really happy to be able to share this with everybody. I wanted to add also, as you implied, that while we focused on treating cancer and mobility issues, these therapies also address other types of issues. And we're, we're, on, we're uh, limited on time, so I just want to mention, since I had asked you about this before the show, you mentioned that they address also ongoing back, disc, and joint issues, uh, undiagnosed conditions, and they're also used for wound healing. I, I'm, I'm working on our clothes here, so I want to encourage people actually to find out more about your treatments and, and contact you. And you can do that by visiting Dr. Elliott's website at www.nyholisticvet.com. You can also gain a more extensive view of her recommendations by reading a book she co-authored, Whole Health for Happy Dogs, a Natural Health Handbook for Dogs and Their Owners, available through Amazon. 
And if you have unanswered questions about today's episode, please email them to me at hosthemda at gmail.com. We'll post responses to our social media sites, and you can access that by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.